Coming up on The Bridge, Rachel Blank, CEO and co-founder of Alera Health, joins the show to talk about the work that she and her team are doing to progress women's health care, specifically the improvements that are being made through the digital health experience and how Alera is helping with that. Rachel touches on her go-to-market motion, specifically the advantages of building out a direct-to-consumer healthcare model and just some of the challenges that exist in our healthcare system and why it's so important that you lead with consumer health and consumers first. And then we round it out talking about Rachel's experience raising $10 million from Google Ventures, her ability to balance cash with growth, and how she is thinking about scaling quality of care as she grows her team. Just an awesome operator, so many great insights, specifically for health tech founders, but also just those looking at consumer models. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin's state of mind, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin's state of mind, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin's state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, nation the game. For a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny. Pocket change. One What's going on, everybody? It's Justin Bandehay, host of the Bridge Podcast. Every week we have exceptional founders on the show talking about their journeys, their experiences, taking the ventures they're building from zero to one. This week on the show, we've got a great founder in. She's the co-founder and CEO of Alera Health an all-in-one virtual care team for hormonal, metabolic, and gynecological conditions. Excited to have her in to talk about the journey. Rachel, welcome into the bridge. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's just start brief intro. I'd love, yeah, if you wanted to open up with just an intro and yourself, uh, your background, and we always just open it up with the founding story behind Alara. Yeah, sure. So I am Rachel Blank. I am the founder of Alara Health. As you said, we're a virtual care platform for women with chronic hormonal conditions. So think conditions like PCOS, endometriosis, hypothyroidism, all of which are incredibly common and yet tend to get really dismissed and ignored by our traditional healthcare system. Alara for me is very much a personal journey. Starting off, actually, I grew up with a dad who's an OBGYN. So I really grew up around women's healthcare. And I remember as a kid and to this day, you know, my dad would come home and every night he'd be calling his patient until late into the evening, giving them really high touch concierge care. And so I always thought women's health care and doctors just always provided this incredible care. And it was this incredible experience. And as I got older and I was diagnosed with my own health conditions, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS at age 20, around 20. And I really quickly saw that actually most women do not have a great experience with healthcare, and that included myself. And for many years, I really struggled to find sufficient medical care to help treat my condition. And what I was able to see, having grown up with a dad who's an OBGYN, is in a lot of cases, it's really not the doctor's fault. It's kind of the system and the format in which they're practicing. And so, you know, fast forward a bunch of years, I ended up working at a digital health company really saw the power of digital health to transform healthcare experiences. 
and realized it was just an amazing tool to provide better care to women. Back in 2021, started Alara. We launched patients with a virtual care platform that pairs them with doctors and registered dietitians all online. We provide ongoing chronic care management. So patients are meeting with our providers via video about every month or two. They also have an app where they can check in with them and check in with each other on a regular basis. And it's just this kind of high-touch concierge-style medicine that all of us would love to have, but often doesn't exist in traditional healthcare. And the bonus is it's not even that expensive. For most of our patients, they're actually using insurance to cover their services. As far as like how you're distributing the product, how do customers discover it? So we're really a direct-to-consumer offering Mm. in the care space. Number one, I have worked at multiple direct-to-consumer digital health businesses before. I, I truly believe that healthcare improves the most when we put the decisions and the power in the hands of the consumer and not in the hands of these stakeholders who, frankly, at the end of the day, are thinking about the bottom line Perfect. and how much money they're making and, yeah, and profits as opposed to somebody's health. And also, as we all know, I think at this point all too well, often those decisions are made not with a lot of thought or care around women's health and women's health outcomes. And so for many reasons, to me, it was important to build a direct consumer business that really put that power into the hands of women. I felt like if I went out and talked to insurers or talked to employers, they would probably have no idea what I was talking about when I talked about these conditions like PCOS and endometriosis. But if you talk to a patient who has one of these conditions, immediately they just they light up hearing that there's something built for them. Um, And so we've actually been really successful going direct consumer, mostly through uh, social media. So a lot of that has actually been through organic social communities. We've built a really strong following on TikTok, a really strong following on Instagram. And uh, we also have about 10% of our patients now are coming in through word of mouth. So either patient to patient or hearing about it from one of their doctors. Um, and again, I think it just points to how dismissed and ignored women's healthcare conditions have been and how excited women are when they finally see something that is built for them. So we've actually been able to to really build a really strong direct consumer product. But the beauty, again, of our model is that it's actually, in a lot of cases, not really the consumer who's paying for it. It's often the consumer making the decision. But then we're in network with her insurance company, and they can actually use their in-network insurance to pay for the services. So it's really kind of a win-win for the consumer where they get to decide, but also the whole burden of payment is not on them either. Super interesting uh, around the model, and it makes a ton of sense when you think about just, yeah, the incentives and the players that are involved in our crazy system of healthcare. First of all, congrats on the recent raise, 10 million from Google Ventures. That's massive, uh, as yeah. well as like a number of yeah other really great firms and folks involved. I'm always interested for a category, what the experience was like raising, because I feel like, not to generalize, but there's a lot of white dudes that oftentimes cut these checks. I got to imagine that makes the process challenging. But yeah, just in general, what your experience was like raising your round, and then more specifically, what sort of traction were Google Ventures or others looking at when you went out to raise? It's actually super interesting. I think people are really surprised to hear that actually in my seed round, it's pretty much all male investors who did that round. And so I think we kind of assume that male VCs aren't interested in mm-hmm. women's health or aren't going to fund it. Um, and yes, was it probably a more difficult fundraising process, both for my seed and for my Series A? because it was women's health and because I was talking to, you know, lots of men who didn't have that experience. Yes. But what I found is actually they were a lot more open to hearing about it than I might have expected. And also, I think, 
I do think things have shifted a bit in the past few years where I think more and more women are talking about their health journeys, they're talking about their fertility journey. So I actually was surprised at how many male investors I talked to who said, oh, well, I know about PCOS because my wife has it and we went through this fertility struggle Mm -hmm. or my wife has endometriosis or my daughter or my mom or my sister. And so I really think there's there has been a shift in women's health because more women have been speaking about it. And I that I think has been really, really positive for the whole industry. This fundraising process was tough. I would say actually less so because it was a women's health company and more just because it was a direct consumer digital mm. healthcare company. I mean, you would not believe how drastically feelings about a direct consumer healthcare company changed in the past few years. So, you know, back in 2020, 2021, we'd all been dealing with COVID. Everything was telehealth. The hottest deals were the consumer healthcare deals. You could have 200 patients and raise a $20 million Series A. Things were just insane. And then over the past year, and I think in a lot of ways for the better, the market really shifted. And so all of a sudden it was not have 200 patients. It was, we want 2,000. We want the paths of 20,000 patients and we want the paths of profitability. And I think there was actually a lot of question about the validity of a consumer mm-hmm. and a lot of questions of, well, are consumers really going to buy this? Won't CAC go up or cost of acquisition go up over time? So I actually got a lot of pushback on being a direct consumer company more than I got pushback on being a women's healthcare company. And what I think really at the end of the day, whether it was defending being a women's healthcare company or defending consumer, uh, for us was really leaning into our numbers and using numbers to show, to tell the story. So, you know, if I said, women really want this, this is a really valuable product to a VC, that really meant nothing. But when I showed them, look, our CAC is this, it's best in class. Our LTV to CAC is 5X, our payback is three, four months. All of a sudden it became a much more compelling, interesting story where I actually had something to show them. And so I think that for us was kind of the key to success in fundraising was number one, I'm really leaning into our numbers and, and using numbers to tell our story. And number two, the unit economics of our business are very strong. And so just the unit economics and how conservative we'd been with our cash spend and how much we were able to grow with such limited cash spend ended up being really impactful to investors. Yeah. I think kind of what a lot of them are looking for right now is paths of profitability and cash conservation at the end of the day. You, you talked a little bit about this, about some of the headwinds or the macro trends and challenges. And it sounds like, yeah, firms are pushing to get closer to profitability Nico Benastos, one of the partners at General Catalyst, referred to us as cockroaches, which was our most endearing trait. The proof is in the pudding. The metrics are there. So it sounds like things are going really well. What has been, from your perspective, the hardest part about building this business? And maybe what are some of the challenges that you're wrestling with now? What's the next rock that you're trying yeah. to turn over or tackle? Well, one, I was say I love what you said about being a cockroach because that actually is advice I got from the founder of the company I used to work for when I was like, oh my God, the world is blowing up. The fundraising environment is blowing up. What do I do? His advice was be a cockroach. You just have to be a cockroach and survive. So in terms of what, so I'd say what keeps me up at night the most, it's really two things. One is we really, I think, have done so well partially because our quality of care is so fantastic. The patient experience is so fantastic. It really is something differentiated from the traditional healthcare experience where you're rushed in and out in five minutes, our providers are doing 30 minute visits, they're taking time, they're getting to know you. Um, so number one is how do we continue to provide that best in class, really high touch experience as we scale and in a way where the margin continues to make sense. So that for us is it's one thing to provide that for 500 patients, for 5,000 patients. How do we think about doing that for 
50,000 patients? And how do we think about using tech to help scale up that experience for patients? So that's one thing that I think a lot about. And I think the second is kind of the economic state we're in does put founders in a bit of a tough place where you still have these expectations of growth, right? I don't know what 2025, 2026 is going to look like. And when I go out to raise my Series B, it might be that all of a sudden we're back to hypergrowth fees and to raise my Series B, they want to see 5 to 10x growth. I mean, you really don't know. But at the same time, you have to prepare for the reality of today, which is you have to conserve cash. You have to get to profitability or get as close as you can to profitability. I mean, I'm being told, let's have three plus years runway. Let's assume worst case scenario, you never raise again. What are you going to do? That kind of I'm planning the business. So for me, it's just tough. How do you think about planning the business around worst case scenario? I'll never raise again. Let me conserve my cash for three plus years with, but I also want to show growth and I also want to three or four X the business next year. So how do you grow while conserving cash? Founders really have not had to do that for a very yeah. long time been growth, growth, growth. Um, and now how do you balance both has been what I'm really thinking through. I feel like I'm going to print us like team cockroach shirts or something. I don't know. I now that, like in my mind, I'm like, I feel like Rachel, maybe that's a holiday gift for you. I love it. It's a, it's like not a bad thing. It's endearing. They're gross, but it is endearing. Okay. I promise we'll end on a positive note, but I had one more Rocky question. What is one mistake that you've made as a founder and what did you learn from the experience? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest mistake is I assumed the good times were going to stay good times. So when I raised my seed back in 2020, 2021, I thought, oh, all, all I have to do is hit, like I said, 200 patients. I can rinse the massive A. So, you know, it doesn't matter if I spend 75 grand on the branding agency because I just had this a very different mindset then that I do now. And I look back and I'm like, oh, how could I spend that much money on branding? Like I should have just gotten something up cheap and tested it. And so... It was just a very good lesson for me that you have to be prepared and assume that the good times are not going to stay good times and you have to really be flexible and be kind of prepared for everything, for anything. So honestly, I just still, I never will forget myself for how much money I spent on bringing (laughs) back in my, back in my series. It all turned out fine, but, or in the seed round, it all turned out fine. But I think making some of those up, do we really spend that much money? Now, knowing what I know today, I probably would have been a little more fiscally responsible on some things like that. Okay. I know we're wrapping up. Just wanted to say thank you for making the time to connect and catch up and share the story around Alara. So what is next for Alara? And then was there anything else that you wanted to plug? Yeah, for us. And I will say, I know that it sounded a little negative, but I actually, I'm actually really excited about where the market, where the venture market and where the startup market is moving to. I'm actually really excited about this new kind of pressure on companies to be profitable, to build sustainable businesses. I think it's going to be a lot healthier for the industry. So I actually think net net it's it's painful, but it's positive long term for us. Um, we're really thinking about how we deepen our relationships within the traditional healthcare experience for patients. For us, the mission has always been to be a specialty care layer in women's health, but that layer needs to exist and needs to partner with traditional health. So for us, um, that looks like um, continuing to partner with large traditional health systems. For example, we've had a lot of interest from fertility clinics around partnering and being, you know, ancillary services to patients who maybe have fertility challenges. We're spending a lot of time expanding our insurance coverage, so making it more accessible and affordable for patients, and just continuing to build a really strong brand for our patients that we're serving and a really great experience for them. So, yeah, biggest plug is just to check out. Alara. You can find us at alarahealth.com. That's A-L-L-A-R-A 
health. And we're also on Instagram and TikTok with some fun yet informative content on hormonal conditions. Well, again, Rachel, congrats on all the success today. Again, check out Alara Health and appreciate you making the time and excited to see the, the venture that y'all are building and the value that you're creating here. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That is a wrap. Again, shout out to Rachel Blank, the entire team over at Alara Health. Just awesome to see the company that they're building, the work that they're doing to pioneer in uh, the women's health space. So if you know of anyone that is struggling with hormonal metabolic conditions, strongly encourage you to check out Alara Health. This week on the show, we've got another serial entrepreneur coming in that is now building out a company that is absolutely crushing in the sales tech space. This is the, her uh, second go at it. I'm not going to give away the guest quite yet, but uh, you're going to want to tune into that. In the meantime, again, appreciate everyone that tunes in every week. If you get a moment, jump over to the Apple Podcast Store, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you as well, Justin at thebridgeround.com if there are guests that you want to hear from. In the meantime, keep doing your thing, keep hustling, keep grinding, Grind. keep getting that money. See them dollar signs, hustle, grind, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin's state of mind, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin's state of mind, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin's state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, Asian again. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny, pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What's your love language? Can't do business.